Perhaps the most memorable encounter I've had with anyone. The moment between someone hitting the cancel button and then they officially no longer being a customer mm-hmm. is just ripe for opportunity. Hmm. And what that means is, is that when they hit the cancel button, there's a couple of things I'm going to try to do right in that moment to try to keep them around. With, and you have like 30 seconds max. And that 30 seconds is very, very valuable. And then even after, let's say they officially, we weren't able to save them, there's some things you can do within those next 10 days. But let's start with the cancel button. Welcome to the Own Your Commerce podcast, where leading experts, brands, and innovators reveal strategies for e-commerce growth. I'm your host, Jay Myers, and this show is brought to you by Bold Commerce. Hello and welcome to another episode of Own Your Commerce. It's a monumental day over here as we have our first repeat guest ever. So he was guest number one, episode number one, Patrick Campbell. And it was a fantastic episode. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen to it. Patrick Campbell is the CEO of a company called ProfitWell. They have analytics tools to measure churn retention, but also tools to retain customers. And they have insights into over 40,000 subscription brands to see the data on what works, what pricing models work, how should you be onboarding your customers? And what we really got into this one is how should you be offboarding your customers? It's something people don't usually talk about it, but it's really important because when a customer says goodbye or they hit that cancel button or they leave you in some way, are they gone forever or is there still opportunity there? Well, what Pat's found out is there is still huge opportunity there. It might be for them or it might be for customers they refer. It might be for the order that they just canceled, that they might reactivate. There's a lot you can do when a customer decides to not be a customer. It's not over. And we're going to really get into that. And I just want to let you know as well, too. We did a takeaway piece from this podcast. It was so good. Uh, we're, We're putting together our 10 part series. We're calling it subscriptions beyond the product series. If you go to boldcommerce.com right on the homepage, right under the main banner that you can see in the what's new section, you'll see a subscriptions beyond the product series. We're looking at the 10 building blocks of what makes successful subscription brands, what they need to do. And that's everything from um, referrals to churn, retention, LTV, onboarding, Um, offboarding is one of them. So we did a takeaway piece on this. Make sure to go check it out. There's some deep insights in there as well, too. Uh, and then the last thing I want to say is if you're going to Shop Talk, uh, which, you know, if you're on the fence about Shop Talk, Shop Talk is the, the biggest e-commerce conference in North America, maybe the world. I don't know. For sure, North America. Uh, it's fantastic. It's it's uh, all the players are there, like every single software provider, vendor and thousands of uh of merchants tens of thousands um they have amazing talks uh things if you want to learn the trends and what's happening in the industry this is this is a fantastic place to be it's march 27th to march 30th bold will be there so if you're coming make sure you come stop by our booth come say hi we're at booth 7014 7014 uh we've got a huge crew from bold going so come say hi i'd love to meet you i know so many of you have reached out and over email and Twitter and LinkedIn and other channels. It'd be great to meet you in person. Just stop by and say hi and just say, hey, I listened to your podcast. Uh, we've got some surprises and some and some treats there. So it's, it, it should be a lot of fun. Uh, come, come say hi. We'd love to meet you in person. 
that's all I have for announcements. Let's jump into this episode with Patrick Campbell. And don't forget to check out the Beyond the Product subscription series on the website as well, too, with all the takeaways from this episode. All right, let's dive into it. Pat, you are our first two-timer guest on our show. What is it about you that's so special? I only have so many jokes, so I'm definitely (laughs) going to be repeating some things, I'm sure. But yeah, excited to be back, man. And I I think it's... uh, I just love the subscription world. And so it's always fun to talk about this stuff. So thanks for having me. Oh, well, man, it's an honor. The first episode, for those who didn't catch it, it's actually episode number one. (laughs) So easy to remember. Nice. Yeah. And uh, it was really well received. We got a ton of good feedback on it. And I felt we scratched the surface of your brain. So we're going to dive a little deeper today. And actually the way I want to, you know, okay, before, just in case anyone didn't listen to that episode, quick background, who's Pat? What's ProfitWell? What do you do? Give us the quick bio here in case anyone's listening and has no idea who you are. So I shouldn't take that for granted. No, it'll be good to see if I give the exact same response. Um, So (laughs) What's evolved um, since then? (laughs) Patrick Campbell, CEO, founder of a company called ProfitWell. We do what's called subscription revenue automation. So we plug into subscription billing systems and basically automate revenue. And so the way we do that is we give out free metrics, all of your financial metrics that you need, give that for free. We have about 30,000 subscription brands using that now, which is pretty cool. And then we study that data and then we have a product that basically reduces your churn and cancellations automatically. And another product that helps you optimize your pricing and monetization. Personally, my background's in econometrics and math. So lots of friends as a child. That's my little dad joke for there. Um, And then I, uh, yeah, I started my career, I worked in US intelligence, then I worked at Google, just building giant models to hunt bad guys and gals or hunt money when I was at Google. So yeah, that's the, that's the quick, quick and dirty background. I'm also from Wisconsin. So I have like a, I call it a Southern Canadian accent, basically. So for all the, all the Canadian folks at Bold listening. You know, it's funny. Yeah, I wouldn't know. Like when I watch TV and I watch the news, everyone sounds normal to me. But <laughs> yeah. my family's from the U.S. and I from they're scattered around New York, Pennsylvania, Virginia. But they all have their own accents. It's funny though. But when I watch a movie, I don't notice anything different. So is everyone like putting on a Canadian accent for movies, or what's going on? We, do we have the I, ultimate Midwestern? I don't know. We like <laughs> to hear. About. We like to hear what we want to hear. I guess right. And that's uh, yeah. I don't know. Well, that could be true too, actually. I was hanging out with a couple of folks who were based in Kelowna late last week, and it was, oh, yeah. it was yeah. one of those things where you had some real Canadian uh, Canadians there. That was it was kind of a funny thing, but uh, yeah, accents yeah. are funny, probably for a conversation for another day. That's right. There's probably a whole podcast about it. I'm sure Different, each I'm episode sure. from each state. Yeah, but yeah. this is not about that. This is actually Thank what God. I want. To, <laughs> no kidding. I would. Everyone is tuning out right now. So just yeah, yeah. So you're listening. We're not talking about accents. One of the things. So in the first episode, we talked about a little bit about everything. We talked about all kinds of subscription data, some of your findings, and actually, I would anyone in the subscription space, I highly recommend that episode. Check it out. What I'd like to focus on today is a couple core components of really what make a subscription business successful. And there is a ton and we could talk about it for hours. We're working on an ebook on it, but the kind of two topics I'd like to dive into is the first one is churn and retention. And I lump them into the same category and we'll see, I'm curious to get your thoughts on that too, if churn and retention are the same and how you look at it. And then the second one is the topic of, you could call it offboarding when customers go to cancel. And actually, I think you did a, I saw a webinar you did recently and used that exact title and there was a 
Anyways, we'll get into that when we get into that. But those are the two topics. So I hope you're ready. Let's do it. Okay, so let's start with churn. It's obviously, if you're a subscription business, it's the word you hate, but there's not all churn is equal. There's a lot of different types of churn. Can you define as you see it, and you've written reports and benchmark reports on this. And actually, I think it was you that even said on our first episode, not all churn is equal. So I'm probably stealing that from you. No, it's great. What is churn and why is not all churn equal? Yeah, on a basic level, churn is someone canceling your product or leaving your product to be a little bit more precise. And what's really kind of funny about this, it's funny you kind of brought that preface up because I think a lot of companies, a lot of brands, what they'll end up doing is there's this uncomfortableness with someone leaving, right? It's almost like a relationship. And I I think the beauty, what I like to tell people is the beauty of subscription model is it's the first commerce model in the history where the relationship with the customer is baked directly into how you make money. And what I mean by that is instead of, you know, the local grocery stores competing for you to come there that week with coupons and things like that for milk. With a subscription, it's like you naturally have that customer start with you that next month, right? We have a relationship. And as long as the value is there, that customer is going to stick around, right? Now, because of that, a lot of companies, what they'll do is when that person leaves, they're just kind of like, oh, no more. Like uh, they, they left us. It's almost like a jilted lover. We're just like, oh, we're not going to be friends anymore because you left me, that type of a thing. <laughs> but as you're kind of alluding to, there's a lot of different reasons why people leave. And those buckets, there's two really big buckets. One is called, we call it strategic churn or strategic cancellations or strategic retention. And this is kind of the things that a lot of us talk about, which is, was the opening of the box experience great? Was the onboarding great? Was, did we have the right features? Did we have the right functionality? Did we have the right amount of product that we delivered? If you're, you know, a subscription e-commerce brand, these types of things, right? Like we talk a lot about that. These are all like the little paper cuts that you need a really good product, a really good growth, really good fulfillment team to kind of solve. And then there's the tactical retention, which are things like credit card failures. Um, It's one of the largest single buckets of lost customers. Credit cards fail all the time. And a lot of times we don't have the structure to to get those folks back. Or things like term optimization, right? These are tactical Mm. things that you can do. And cancellation flows is a tactical one that we can kind of talk about as well, where yes, if the person has having a very bad experience and they don't value your product, none of these tactics are going to work. But If you're having a pretty good experience and you just need a little nudge as a customer, all of these other things will reduce your churn or reduce your cancellations pretty considerably. And so that's kind of the way to think about it. Is this like a fundamental thing that's going to take quarters to fix or months to fix? Or is this something that's like very, very tactical where I can, you know, get that customer back or keep that customer through little nudges essentially? And so I'll pause there, but that's on a very, very high level the way I think people should think about churn. And most of the time, the way they think about it is, well, if it was valuable enough, they would have stuck around. And I guess it wasn't valuable enough. So we're just going to forget about these people. Right. Okay. So the two high categories that you're lumping them into, strategic, tactical. I've heard that a lot of people use the terms voluntary, involuntary. Would you say that voluntary lines up with strategic, involuntary lines up with tactical, or is it not exactly... Not exactly. Like there's a bunch of different ways to look at it. I think the problem with voluntary is that gets sucked up by a product organization where it's like, well, they wanted to leave, so there's nothing I could have done. You know what I mean? Or it's going to take years to fix or months to fix whatever they Mm. wanted to fix. Involuntary, when people refer to that, that's just credit card failures or payment failures, right? Those are synonymous. There's nothing else in that bucket. So I think for me, you know, strategic and kind of tactical is a little bit better because I'll give you an example. Tactically, I can get customers, and I think we talked about this in the last podcast, I can get someone from a monthly plan to a quarterly plan. Those Mm -hmm. people will tactically be on a quarterly plan. Therefore, their churn, their cancellation rate is going to be lower than my customers who are on a monthly plan. Now, if the person didn't like the product or didn't like it enough, they're not going to 
sign up for a quarter, let alone a year of a plan, right? So it's one of those things where it's like, you're kind of maximizing those people who are either liking your product or liked it enough and maximizing the retention that's more tactical. Whereas strategic, Mm. it's like, how do I fix bugs? How do I come out with a six ounce option rather than a nine ounce option? Like those types of things, which are more like, they take a lot more thinking, they take a lot more strategic planning and those types of things, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that does. Well, and then the other categories that you often hear about with churn is regrettable versus non-regrettable. So I guess it sounds essentially so far, everything here, strategic and tactical, both fall in the regrettable bucket. I hate the regrettable versus not regrettable (laughs) to just get a little spicy. And it's not bad. It's not that it's not helpful. The problem is, is like to get very, very practical And this is probably so far beyond the point that we're trying to talk about. So forgive me. But it's one of those things where like there is this deep intrinsic emotional reaction to someone canceling the product. And I already have talked about that. But when you open up the non-regrettable, like, oh, I don't regret that cancellation. All of a sudden that bucket becomes really large. Like in a lot of organizations that fixate Mm -hmm. on regrettable or non-regrettable, regrettable is just this tiny little fraction. It's like 5% of those cancellations. And 95% of those cancellations are, they weren't the right customer. Oh, yeah, we're fine losing them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's like, there isn't as much scrutiny. And that's why I think that kind of looking at, it's not that regrettable versus non-regrettable is wrong, but looking at it as like, you know, strategic versus tactical, it's a lot more pragmatic, right? Because tactical, these are things that like I can implement, I can optimize very similar to like marketing campaigns and these types of things. And then strategic is like, yes, of course there are going to be people in strategic. They weren't the right customer. And that's fine. That's acceptable churn, I guess, is the way I would look at it. But then there's a bunch of different things that we can fix. Now, we might not fix that right now, Mm -hmm. but if someone's like, hey, we're getting way too much product and the number one reason people are voluntarily canceling is because you sent them 16 rolls of toilet paper when they only need eight in a given month, that's something we're going to fix right away, right? And so... I don't know. It's more of a soapbox, a very nuanced point I'm trying to make, which is I think like all churn is regrettable. It's just, do you make a decision to fix it now or do you make a decision to fix it later? Which is a totally, totally fine question and conversation to have. Yeah. Well, and I think the other danger of lumping things in non, well, there is legitimately some non-regrettable churn, like maybe the in B2B, the company went out of business and they just no longer are using your totally. product. There's, there's like totally. nothing you can do. But I think there's absolutely, yeah, that, that there, there are some totally but, acceptable yeah. if you have discipline. But I found right. a lot of companies don't have discipline and they have a product leader who it's like, well, if it was valuable, they would have stuck around. Like the amount of times I've heard that from product leaders is it's mm. just insane because it's right. like, well, it's not that they're wrong. It's just, it's woefully incomplete. And you woke something inside me. I don't know how, Jay, but all of a sudden, like, <laughs> I don't know why I'm having such an aggressive reaction to, to this regrettable thing, but hopefully it's mildly entertaining to the nerds that are listening to this. But Pat's but next say, LinkedIn no. rant is going to be on non-regrettable churn. I know. Make sure you follow him on LinkedIn so you can witness it. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, and I guess like I have a bit of a issue with it too. And I'm wondering your thoughts on this, but with non-regrettable, because people lump it under that, they see it as churn they're not responsible for. So then they also ignore it and they don't see it as an opportunity. But even when someone legitimately non-regrettably churns, there's still an opportunity there because there's still, and I'm thinking along the lines of like potential referrals, maybe they come back in the future with a, in the B2B example, like with another business or they have whatever, there's other reasons. So I think there's, you're right, it's a it's fractionally smaller than most product managers believe it is. But even within it, I think there is opportunity. 
So that aside, I guess let's focus on regrettable because I agree like 99% of churn is probably falls in that category. So within that, we've got the strategic or tactical, voluntary, involuntary. Um, I want to get into some like nuts and bolts of what brands can do to improve the different buckets. Because even involuntary churn, I know can be improved. That's ProfitWell does that and you've got data on it. But all of these, like no one has to put their hands up in the air and just say, this is what it is. There's opportunities in all of these categories. So let's dive into them. I broke them out in my notes here for the show of voluntary and involuntary. But does it make sense more like for people listening from a strategic standpoint, as far as like what tactics they used, <laughs> strategic and tactics for the tactical? Yeah, is get really... no, I think I think you can start wherever you want. I'll pull it to whichever direction. <laughs> pull it so together. Yeah, sure. I think voluntary and involuntary is what most people talk about. And so we can certainly talk through that as well. So, okay, then let's start with involuntary churn. You define what it is, so we don't have to do that again. What are some ways brands can improve it without just saying that's churn, I, nothing I can do about it? Yeah, so I think, and we're talking the voluntary side, right? Just to be sure. Sorry, involuntary first. Involuntary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Lots of there's a lot of nouns going back and forth, Jay. But yeah, yeah, I think yeah. <laughs> um, for involuntary, so just to define this, this is when payment failures basically. And so some fun facts depends on the cost of your product, the price of your product, but typically this is about twenty to forty percent of your lost customers. So if someone if you have a hundred customers left your business, twenty to forty of them are typically because of a credit card or a debit card failure. The reason for this is that frankly, you know, credit cards and debit cards, they're mechanical devices that are subject to failure. And even though Visa and MasterCard are obviously very, very good and Amex and such are very, very good at accepting payments. Ultimately, even a fraction of being off causes a lot of fun trouble. And so I think the best way to describe this, and I know we didn't want to spend like the bulk of the time talking about this. So the easiest way is these are customers that know you exist. And while some of them, this is their excuse to leave you, most of them, they don't even know their credit card failed, like most of the time. Mm -hmm. because there's 130 different reasons why a credit card fails. There are expirations coming up. That's a big one. There's false fraud flags that happen. Like the processor will think it's fraud and it's really not, but the card still fails. Country codes, all kinds of different stuff, right? And a lot of those are not in your control as a business. It's just obviously Visa, MasterCard, et cetera, want high acceptance rates, but they can't always accept everything. And so to give you some numbers there, if 100 people fail right now, on average, you're recovering about 30 of them. So you're mm -hmm. getting updated payments info. Most businesses in, let's say, subscription e-commerce are around 60 to 70 that are good. That's where they should be. So there are a number of these people you're just never going to get back and that's their excuse yeah. to leave and that's okay. And then the biggest piece of advice back to kind of trying to give you a framework, just treat this as a marketing channel. Mm. Have four to six emails, SMS, probably one to two SMS messages, some in-app notifications. It's a game of inches or centimeters, meaning, yeah, mm -hmm. even if not everyone's logging in all the time to your product to adjust whatever they're getting from you, enough people do that it's worth like, oh, I recovered 5% of the people through that channel. That's totally fine, right? So you yeah. kind of want to treat it as a marketing channel. And, and with that, plain text emails, they work at a 50 to 60% higher engagement rate than very markety brandy mm -hmm. emails. I always like to say that in kind of a D2C crowd because, you know, naturally D2C is like, we're going to create these beautiful emails. And it's like, mm -hmm. well, actually, the ugly ones are the ones that actually do really well here. And it's because it it treats it like a, a relationship, right? Like, hey, Jay, Patrick here, notice your credit card failed, you know, and all of a sudden, like, People are a little embarrassed, right? So like, they'll be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, Patrick. Ali updated it. Or they're a little embarrassed and don't respond and just go update it, right? 
Or they'll respond and say, hey, I don't want the product anymore, right? And that gives you some signal and maybe you try to save the sale. But treat it like a marketing channel. That's the best advice. Most brands, they might have a couple emails, but they kind of, they're very bill collectory, right? Like accounting wrote yeah. them. And nothing against accounting, but it's not very customer facing. And that's the best thing. A couple of things I would recommend in addition to those emails, make if you have a little dev time, make it so the user doesn't have to log in. So make it so that when they hit the email, because I think we found like 55% of these emails are opened on mobile. We have a product that does this. That's why we know a lot about this. And so I'm basically telling you, if you don't want to use our product, here's everything to do. <laughs> so there's yeah, more yeah, nuance yeah. there. But when they open it, just make it so it's like they just have to, you know, kind of one click or a couple of clicks rather than having to like log in because most of the time a billing settings page isn't really the best page on your website. But yeah, if you do some of those things that I said, you might not get like, you know, that 70 or 80% recovery rate, but you should be able to get to like 40, 50, you know, maybe even 60% depending on the brand. And a lot of customers forget their login password or information or yeah. it's just friction in general. Totally. Just reduce um, the friction as much as humanly possible. That's the big thing. Yeah. Is there... Anything that causes higher failure rates that you've noticed, like, I don't know, frequencies or dollar amounts or anything charging at different times of the day? I've heard sometimes that can make a difference in so yeah. before it even gets to the point of failure. So, yeah, it's really hard. I think like if you can get ACH, meaning like direct bank account access, that actually reduces, you know, failures. I mean, they'll still fail, but even like PayPal, PayPal will fail, right? Like a lot of these things, people are like, well, let's do that. And they technically fail at a little bit of a lower rate because PayPal is working to recover that payment failure with you. But I think mm -hmm. ultimately, there's a couple things and these are not easy things to do. So for one, I see this actually quite often where to give you a case study or an anecdote, if you're a Canadian company, meaning like your banking and everything is in Canada, yeah. but 90% of your customers are in the United States, you probably should have a US entity. It probably should mm -hmm. be a U.S. bank. U.S. Canada isn't as bad as like Australia in the U.S. or Finland in the U.S., but we see people lower these rates just by having a different entity and running the cash through it like almost instantly, right? And then there's some other things like you mentioned times of day. Normally, like retrying credit cards, you should just make sure on whatever billing system you're using, just make sure they're turned on. Sometimes an engineer will turn them off to test something and forget. These automatic retries is what I'm referring to. And one time to retry credit cards is typically like the last day in the 15th of the month, which is typically payday. So we'll see like an extra 3% of recovery those days typically from just retrying credit cards. So those are some little tactical things you can do. I think the issue is, is that a lot of these things end up being punitive. So for example, you could only accept credit cards, meaning you won't accept any prepaid debit cards. The problem is, is that you then, for most brands, will reduce your customer base by about 15%. And so yeah. all of a sudden it's like, well, you're definitely netting more. And yes, some people like it's really hard to get them back, but it's like, I'd rather just take that into the calculus rather than making an optimization that's going to make growth lower, but a little more convenient, if that makes sense. And so that's just something to kind of think about. Makes total sense. Okay, so now on the flip side, on the voluntary bucket, this is where people probably have the biggest opportunity in their hands 100%. to stop churn before it happens. What would you say are some of the biggest wins, biggest causes that people click that cancel button and maybe some biggest opportunities? Yeah, so this kind of goes into our strategic versus tactical bucket. I think that from a strategic standpoint, and these are people who are actively canceling, right? So these are people who click on a cancel button or send you an email or mm -hmm. call you or something like that. 
I would say that the vast majority of this, it's an alignment issue. And this is the death by a thousand paper cuts that mm. your product team or you know whatever team is kind of running retention is going to have to take on because in subscription e-commerce, it's everything from having a great onboarding experience to the amount you're giving them. Like I kind of mentioned that a couple of times. And so that's not unimportant, but it's something that you should definitely have. From a very tactical standpoint, there's some things that you can implement like literally tomorrow. So one we mentioned already is term optimization. So what I mean by that is when someone signs up for your product, your subscription, you should definitely offer up like a quarterly plan or a six-month plan or an annual plan. And whichever one you offer depends on your brand. Sometimes an annual plan makes a ton of sense. Sometimes it doesn't make any sense, right? So use your best judgment. But you should definitely offer some sort of longer-term plan. I have some data. I actually was pulling this up here. When you say that, do you mean prepaid or just different billing frequency? With rare exception, always make it prepaid. Okay. And the reason for that is one, you get extra cash flow, but two, unless you're a huge brand and this is just the extra layer of optimization where people like you're going to get an extra squeeze of LTV out of those people who are signing up for a longer term plan, but then you're willing to like go through the hell of trying to collect all that money from them. It just keep it simple at first. So ask them in the beginning, but also this is the important part. Make sure you're asking them after that initial experience. This is what a lot of brands mess up. They'll ask mm. at the beginning, they'll get some people to sign up for the quarterly plan six month or whatever. But then it's like, there's a lot of those people who just never experienced your product. And before I commit yeah. to a longer term plan, like I want to try it out or I want the experience or I want to make sure it tastes good if it's a food product or whatever it is. And so what we really recommend doing then is like, basically in the world of subscription e-commerce between the months, the second and the fifth month, mm. I would probably send them an offer to get on a longer term plan every 45 days. And that fifth month, like really it's kind of where you start to see that retention curve flatten out. So in yeah. SaaS, it would be month 10, right? Because if they're there for the 11 months, they're probably going to be there for 20 months. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, I don't need to offer that retention tactic of keeping them around. But if they're there for two months and I can get them on an extra three month plan, all of a sudden I get this like better retention that nets out, right? And this is the mistake yeah. people make is they only ask when someone signs up. But you'll notice mm -hmm. if you ask when someone signs up, you'll get an incremental amount. And then at that second month, you'll get an incremental amount. And then the fourth month, you'll get an incremental amount. But all of a sudden your LTV has, I think it's like, Quarterly plans, it's like 800% better lifetime value than monthly plans, which is kind of wild. Yeah, I saw that. Actually, I had written that down. Yeah, you have 814% lower churn rates on an annual plan. Is that, that's in your churn benchmark report. Is that as compared to a monthly? Yep, as compared to a monthly. And then okay. quarterly, as I'm looking at the same data now, is 250% better lifetime yeah. value. And this is just, this should feel intuitive to people listening is just because there's only one chance to cancel on a quarterly plan versus three right. chances on monthly in the same period, right? Also too, like I usually subscribe to things on an annual plan, save the 20%, but then I'm also more likely to use the product and get value from it once I've had it for that period of time too. So I think it's a kind of a win-win. I agree. I think it's a win-win too, and it helps like juice that relationship a little bit. I think beyond that, there's two other things that I know one of them we want to go a little bit deeper on. The yeah. one that I think we're not worried about going deeper on, reactivations. A lot of subscription commerce brands are typically okay at this, meaning like they actually do it, um, which is great compared to like B2B SaaS. But reactivations, the basic idea is going to your customers who have canceled and basically using that as a marketing segment. So someone who's canceled mm. going back to them with, hey, we have these new flavors. Hey, we have this new color. We have all these new things. Typically, what's really interesting is you'll be able to recover about somewhere between 20 and 30%, I believe. I can check the actual data on an mm. annual basis of those who have canceled. And the reason is, is that 
when that person cancels, there's a good group of them that they're not canceling for anything that has to do with you. A lot of them, mm-hmm. they're canceling because of you. Don't get me wrong. So the majority are canceling because they don't like your product for some reason. Some of the things you can control, some you can't. But there's a really good group of them that like they're going on vacation, their budget mm-hmm. or you know whatever dried up for the time. They receive too many or whatever it is, right? And those people who are leaving, there's some things we can do in cancellation flows we'll talk about in a second. But a lot of them, it's like, you just need to remind them of the product again. And you already did the hardest part, which was make them aware that you exist, right? So this isn't rocket science. It's just basically like an email drip. Plain text we found works much, much better again than the fancy emails. In reactivations, we personally really like to like pair a fancy email with the plain text. Birchbox actually was really good at that as of late, although they've had you know some other issues, right? But yeah, long story short, this is something that works really well. An SMS text message, in-app won't matter at this point because they're not using the product. But yeah, it's one of those things where you can get a good drip of folks to come back. And the biggest thing we recommend is, again, don't treat them as a brand new user where all of a sudden they have to go through that onboarding again. Just make Mm. it so they can kind of like one click. They can one click and then opt back in and all of a sudden Mm. they get the product again, which I think is really, really powerful. I bet you that that's not something that most people would think of as marketing to. Like once a customer's gone, they're They're dead to me. They're dead, right? But you're saying you're seeing people recover or reactivate 20%. Yeah, yeah and on an huge. annual basis, just to be clear. So it's not not a monthly, that would be a lot. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I think on an annual basis, it's kind of actually, here we go. Yeah, the reactivation rate in subscription e-commerce for products between one and $100 per month is actually around 40%. And then for products over $100 per month, it's closer to about 30%. So it's a little bit higher than I was even saying. And again, it's because... People stop using your product for all sorts of reasons that have nothing to do with you. I was looking at that in your report. Yeah, and that exact numbers. And I just, the thing that didn't dawn on me actually when I read that was that these were customers that had canceled, stopped. I assumed reactivation was right at the point of canceling. So like they cancel and then there's a cancellation flow that tries to reactivate them no, that's right the, then and there. That's what we're about to talk about. Okay. Yeah, that's the other. So that those numbers are great too. But no, reactivations is like they canceled. They're gone. Fully stopped paying you. Yeah. And then you marketed to them or emailed them over time to bring them back. Like perfect example, like... I use Ritual for my multivitamin. Mm -hmm. I am not the most consistent in taking my multivitamin. And so I stopped. I was like, oh, I have three bottles now, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, because I had too many. I canceled the subscription. And then like six months later, Jenny and I were like, oh, we should get, you know, New Year. Let's start taking our vitamins again or whatever. And we basically came back. Not because they emailed us. That was all for us. But if Ritual had emailed us, we probably would have come back a little bit earlier. And maybe they did. We just didn't see it because they're a pretty good brand with some of this stuff. But yeah, reactivation, super, super powerful. And if you're in any type of like health, food, vitamin space, January is probably a great month to convert. perfect (laughs) month. Yeah. Yeah. But it's funny because they don't, there's this ultimate focus, like some crazy percentage of budget goes to acquiring new customers, which that's just, you know, we got to pay the Facebook tax. We got to pay these taxes basically to get our customers. But once you're in that database, like we should be making money on that database almost constantly, right? And so, yeah, it's just something to think about. Okay, so then you said the second opportunity, so there's a reactivation and then cancellation flows. So what are some things that you see working in that area? Totally. So cancellation flows, just to speak plainly on it, this is the moment between someone hitting the cancel button and then they officially no longer being a customer Mm -hmm. is just ripe for opportunity. Hmm. And what that means is, is that when they hit the cancel button, 
there's a couple of things I'm going to try to do right in that moment to try to keep them around. And you have like 30 seconds max. That 30 seconds is very, very valuable. And then even after, let's say they officially, we weren't able to save them, there's some things you can do within those next 10 days. But let's start with the cancel button. So the best way to do this, and, and we, again, we have a product that does this. We study a lot of data on this. When someone hits that cancel button, the first question you want to ask them, and you want to ask them questions, and there's there's a lot of opinions on cancellation flows. I think that what we've seen in the data, there's a very small percentage of people who get very, very upset if you do anything, but just let them immediately cancel, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And normally that crowd, it's a very small crowd, but my response to that crowd is typically like, well, we have a relationship, right? This is not just, you have more power as a customer than the business, that's fine. But if you're going to leave, like, I at least want to know a little bit of information. I don't want to force you to call to cancel. That's a terrible thing to do. We actually notice it hurts your numbers as well. Like it might lower your churn, but your reactivation rate will drop to Mm -hmm. zero because people have such a bad experience. Mm -hmm. We have actual data on that. But what I can do is I can ask you a multiple choice question. Hey, why are you leaving? And normally it's a max of four to five different options. And these options are typically, you want to make them a little non-obvious. If you say, hey, I'm leaving because the price is too high, everyone's going to try to choose that, right? Because that's not really a great question. The better question is going to be like, I got too much, you know, if it's a consumable product. I didn't have enough time to see the value. That might be an option. My product was broken or something along those lines, or I couldn't get in contact with anyone. Those are four really, really solid options. And then... What's really kind of cool, and this is the innovation that we found actually that works really well. The next thing I want to do, so they're going to hit that button. So that took like five seconds. The next question is, what did we do well? What did you like about the product? And a lot of people don't think about that question, but that question does two things. One, it's really good insight for your team to understand like, okay, what was great? But two, it also, it adds a little bit of a nostalgia effect Mm -hmm. so that someone who's like really aggravated coming in, they can have like a little bit of a brick wall hit them and be like, well, did I like anything? Mm. And you can, you can even option of like, I didn't like anything, right? Mm. But you can put a couple of options there. And then based on those two questions, I'm going to give an offer. And normally I'm going to give one offer. So let's say they said, I have too much of the product, but I loved the, whatever your main value prop is. And that's, that's in the And so these question. are multiple choice, like they're selecting? Yeah, two multiple choice questions. Don't do free response, free response, is rarely used and in addition to rarely being used, you will get some really good answers in there. People are very thoughtful, but then you'll get a lot of like not great answers or just people kind of skipping it. And even multiple choice, like some people are just trying to get through it, which, you know, happens, but it's not something that like, you know, you should overthink. Mm -hmm. But then based on those two questions, I'm going to offer up one of like four or five options. A pause plan. This is kind of a very common thing, I would say, in the world of subscription e-commerce. And then make sure it's paused for a set period of time. No indefinite pauses. Like you get to pause it for a month, Mm. two months, something like that. Mm. And you choose. Like you say, don't let them choose. Mm -hmm. Just be like, hey, I'm going to pause for a month. Just make it a really easy thing. I might offer up a maintenance plan. And this is something that actually is really well done in B2B SaaS. But I think subscription e-commerce could learn from it, which is... If you have a product that's highly customized or like, you know, like I I think of some of the hair dyeing products where it's like they go through a bunch of like onboarding and all this other stuff. I might offer that customer like, great, you're going to pause it. But how about for a dollar a month, I save all of your settings so that when you come back, you can get started right away. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not great, but it's like it's something's better than nothing here. And it's also a different relationship than if that customer had truly canceled. Right. Because now all of a sudden I can remind them like, hey, we have your settings saved. You want us to send you this, you know, in three weeks or whatever it ends up being. Right. And then the most common option is probably going to be what's called a salvage offer, which is, hey, I noticed you didn't have a great you know, chance to do X, Y, Z. 
you know, how about we give you $10 off next month and then you can use the product again and, and really like see the value, right? Mm. Now, of course, you have to make sure that you're making sure that no one can game the system and keeps coming back so they can only get one offer, you know, in a given period of time or those types of things. But that kind of flow, and remember, it's basically three questions. It's what didn't you like? What did you like? And then here's some sort of an offer. And there's another offer if you're, if they say I couldn't get a hold of someone and you have a more expensive product, you could actually just send them a Calendly link, which I think works out really, really well to like schedule time to keep them around. But if you do that right, looking at the data right here, typically you're noticing that those people who have offboarding, which is this called or cancellation flows, they normally have about 50% better churn. And we've seen, just to give a little bit more of a, a holdable number, we've typically seen that like companies can lower their cancellation rates by about 20 to 30%, which is pretty powerful. And it's not rocket science, right? Now, there's a lot of stuff you should be doing. Like you can do exactly what I said in a very basic way. What ProfitWell does is we look at engagement and we look at all the data and then we like the size of the offer that's offered. Like if they're a really good customer, we might offer like a lower discount than like another customer who like just used it for a month. It's a lot of like tweaking that can be done here, but even just doing those basic things should be able to lower your cancellation rate. Yeah, and it's, again, it's really powerful, but a lot of us aren't doing anything. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I... Okay, so well, let's dive into offboarding because it's funny, how, you know, churn, offboarding, they kind of blend in together, two different things, yeah, yeah, but yeah. similar strategies. And, and obviously, all this all ties into successful subscription. But can you define, like, offboarding is usually a term used for employees. And, you know, they leave a company, you offboard them, you sit down with them and you say, you do a, an exit interview and you say, you know, now's your chance to be totally open and or whatever. But with customers, there's kind of this similar opportunity where you might get better information maybe than you would normally. But what is offboarding the way you define it? Yeah, I think offboarding is not to cop out, but it's basically what we talked about, right? And some people, again, they call these cancellation flows. Some people, there's different words for it, but it's basically like, I like the team member metaphor because whether a team members let go, which, you know, sometimes you do fire customers or they voluntarily leave, you don't just go, cool, see ya. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, you don't just go like, here, turn your stuff in and buy, right? Like, I guess some companies do that, but it's really ineffective, right? Because all of a sudden it's like, why? Why are you leaving? What did you like? What didn't you like, right? I want to learn from them in order to like help make this a better culture, right? Very similarly, I want to learn from that customer to make it a better product. Now, maybe the metaphor breaks down on like, there's a lot of opinions on if someone's trying to quit, do you try to save them? You know, mm -hmm. this type of thing, right? It's a little bit different. But yeah, I think it's one of those things where it's like, what does that experience leaving your product look like? And there's some companies that are terrible at this. And I think they're intentionally terrible. You see this more in like software products. Software products, they want to make it hard for you to leave sometimes. Mm -hmm. Especially products that have lock-in. Like they're like, well, we're not going to let you really download your data. Or if we do let you download your data, it's going to be in a terrible format and you're never going to be uploaded anywhere, right? Or like none of your settings are going to be easily offboarded. And, yeah. and there's probably like a natural like... Yes, you, it's not like you want to make it incredibly easy for them to leave, right? But it is one of those things where you're judged by not only the first impression, but you're probably judged by the last impression of your customer. Totally. And that'll influence if they come back. There's plenty of, I remember Casper, you know, obviously that company has fun things to talk about, but I remember Casper had a really good example of, I think one of their ads was someone who gave them a five-star review, but was no longer a customer. Mm -hmm. I think the review literally said something like, hey, for lots of reasons, the mattress just wasn't going to work for us. But the experience was so good. Hmm. Returning the item was so good. All of these other things that we wanted to leave a five-star review. And then hmm. Casper was like, 
yeah, even if you don't like it, you're going to have a great experience. That was one of their ads, right? Hmm. So I, you know, I don't know if it's a really great effective ad. There's a lot, of, a lot of thoughts there, but I do think it's a really emblematic of the way someone leaves, you know, that's important. I think it's a great mindset for a company to have. That should be like your internal motto. Customers are going to leave, but they're going to have great experiences. Do you have any data on what percentage of subscribers subscribe to the exact same thing more than once? Like I've done it. I've subscribed to smoothies or like vitamins you talked about or other things and I've canceled it or indefinitely paused it, which is kind of a cancellation too, and then reactivated. Do you have any data around that or any kind of qualitative? Yeah, the closest thing are those reactivation numbers, yeah. which are like 30, 40%. And I actually think, yeah, it's that's it's hard to say. Yeah. But it's probably, there's probably people have more than that. There's probably have less than that, if that makes sense. It's probably higher than people think. Like it's probably higher yeah. than like the opportunity to create a great experience as people offboard is more important than brands realize. It's not just, it's important to collect the information, how you can improve your product, but it's important to leave them with a good, and maybe not just even for them coming back, but you know what? I canceled a smoothie subscription, but I would still recommend it. Like I just, right now my freezer's full and I, <laughs> I was away for a month and so I just, but you know, but I would still recommend it. Great experience, everything else. So there's more benefits than just reactivation. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, it's, okay. I don't know. Like, I don't think it's okay to have nothing, but yeah. like, no offboarding is probably better than really bad offboarding, right? Yeah. But I think it's easy enough to kind of like think through that experience because there's more probably than what I said, right? Like I had a very tactical, like, here's how you can lower your churn. But like, there's a lot of things you can do where what does that messaging look like? What emails do you send them? If you have something where there's like some sort of lock-in, like how do you let them leave, right? Like for like smoothies, there probably isn't a lot, but like, you know, there's probably something that they could do that says, hey, really sorry you're leaving. Let us know how we can be helpful. Just a nice note, right? And even if it's automated, like, you know, those things kind of break through in a good way, if that makes sense. It does. Have you seen brands doing, besides the email strategy for reactivation, like retargeting ads or any other strategies? Yeah. So we've studied mostly email, just it's kind of a self-serving reason, obviously, because we wanted to learn about that the most for building a product that does this. But yeah, remarketing is pretty powerful, um, it, you know, especially because it's such an ad-centric industry. I think the remarketing, though, like all remarketing, doing it in the context of also kind of email and these types of things helps a lot, yeah. helps warm up that list in particular. So yeah, stuff like that. I think Think of it like a marketing channel. Yeah. That's the best unlock I've told people, which is like, they understand a marketing segment. They understand how to acquire through different places, how to use an email list, those types of things. And it's just like, all of those same things apply. Just literally take the segment of being a new segment and just applying it to like a canceled segment. That's kind of the way to think about it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And you have their emails. You can upload it to Facebook, create an audience. It's, I mean, it's probably the easiest segment to actually market to, too. All day, all day. Yeah, totally, totally. What, I don't know when this was, it was a couple of weeks ago. You had a webinar, I think it was on the topic of offboarding, but you said you had a tactic that will lower active cancellations by 10 to 25% or something like that. Was that, did you kind of talk about it already with the Yeah, the that's questions? like cancellation flows. Okay. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, 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 totally. Before we run out of time, any other things in the offboarding topic subscription brands can do to improve it, use it to improve retention, make it better, or even like any brands that 
you think are doing a really good job of it to look out for that maybe you've had a really great offboarding experience? Any that maybe stand out? I love what BarkBox has done. That's a good one to look at. I think BarkBox, they're used in a lot of contexts for like a great brand and what they've done. But I think BarkBox, when it comes to retention, we've studied them a lot. We have a show called Boxed Out, which mm-hmm. is like a... It's awesome. Yeah, it's a weekly. It's like heavy graphics and really highly produced where we literally will look at all of these retention pieces for a subscription e-commerce brand and kind of give feedback and stuff. And so the BarkBox one is one of those ones where we really struggle to give critical feedback because they just do it so mm. well to the point that I don't think any brand is going to do everything they do, but (laughs) you can at least do some of it. And one thing they do really well there, which is, and I don't know what it says about us that we tested this, but (laughs) be be very charitable. They have cancellation reasons. So when you go to cancel, they're like, hey, why are you canceling? And one of the options is like, you know, your dog passed away. And what they do is, which is obviously just like, you know, if your dog passes away, like that's a really painful moment, right? And so they send really nice notes afterwards, like if that's the option that you chose. Mm. And so I think it's just one of those things where like that's a really good indication of brands that are thinking about the long-term relationship and realize that some customers are going to come and go depending on circumstance. And so, yeah, I would check out BarkBox. I think, yeah, that's a brand. I think that's a brand to look at. And we did an episode. If you just search boxed out BarkBox ProfitWell, you should be able to find that in Google. That's a great example. And it's not sure there's maybe some data and insights in that, but it's more about they actually care about the customer. And it's a holistic view of that relationship versus just seeing them as a data point and what it's, uh, that's great. Pat, this has been awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, you know what? We'll make it an annual tradition. Let's do it. I learned something every time we chat. I really enjoy this. I know it'll be great for our listeners. You know, for those that have stayed on and they're still jogging on the treadmill listening to this or driving in their car and they made it this far, where do you want to send them to learn more about you or ProfitWell or what social platforms are you active on? Send them somewhere. Yeah, so ProfitWell.com, that's just where we have a ton of content. My email address is just Patrick at ProfitWell.com. So feel free to reach out. Happy to help. And, you know, if if you're looking for data, like benchmark data or like more insight, we've probably written or published something on your question. And if not, (laughs) we kind of know who to look for. Yeah, always happy to help. And I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter and all that kind of fun stuff. But yeah, excited to be helpful. And let me know if there's any questions you have. Awesome. Thanks so much, Pat. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. That's it for another episode of Own Your Commerce. If what you've heard has helped you in any way, I'd love it if you'd leave us a review in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's a new podcast and reviews really help spread the word. And if you know someone you think that might benefit from this podcast, share it with a friend. If you'd like to learn more about Bold, visit boldcommerce.com. You can view all our past episodes. And if you have a story you'd like to tell, we'd love to have you on the show. You can apply to be a guest or suggest a guest on our website as well. That's all for now. And we'll see you next week. 